Well, dear friends, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. My sermon text this evening is Psalm 55. Because it's a somewhat of a lengthy psalm, I'll only be covering the first 15 verses this evening. As we continue our consideration of the book of Psalms, and in particular of the what are known as the imprecatory psalms, those very difficult uh, portions of the book of Psalms where, uh, where the psalmist is calling down God's judgment upon the unrepentant wicked. The title of my sermon uh, tonight is God's Kingdom and the Imprecatory Psalms, Part 3, Betrayal. So let's hear God's holy word, Psalm 55. It is entitled, For the Choir Director on Stringed Instruments, A Maskell of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and am surely distracted. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, Selah. I would hasten to the place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. Tempest. Confuse, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around her upon her walls, and iniquity and mischief are in her midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. For it, was, it is not an enemy who reproaches me, that I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together, walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling in their midst. As for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. For they are many who strive with me. God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from of old, Selah, with whom there is no change, and who do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has violated his covenant. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. (coughs) Excuse me. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's seek the Lord's blessing upon the preaching of his word. (coughs) Our gracious Lord and Father in heaven, we ask that you would... Open our minds and our hearts to behold wondrous things from your word. We pray that you would make us open and receptive to what your spirit is teaching us in this portion 
of your God-breathed scriptures. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, be merciful to us, forgive our sins, that we might indeed receive your word with integrity. We pray that you would grant unto me, your unworthy servant, the grace to declare your word with clarity and power and assistance by your Holy Spirit for the edification of your people and as a, as a way of magnifying uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in the assembly of your saints. For it is in Christ's name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you're following along in your sermon outline, you'll notice the number of key words that you can be listening for in my sermon this evening as we consider this portion of God's Word. Well, dear ones, few things can be more painful than being betrayed by a trusted friend or associate. Experiencing betrayal at the hands of someone who's already hostile toward you, well, that's hard enough. But the pain of betrayal is probably doubled, if not tripled, when the betrayer is someone you had trusted, someone that you had regarded as a confidant. The pain of betrayal is something that most of us have probably experienced in our lives, at least in one form or another, to one degree or another. But few of us have experienced the level of betrayal that King David had experienced during his life and reign as the theocratic king of Israel. Indeed, here the psalmist, who is identified as King David, here the psalmist writes this inspired poem from a place of both deep distress as well as existential danger. This psalm of David is just another example of how these divinely inspired poems of the book of Psalms express and encapsulate the full range of human emotions. Now, Psalm 55 has been uh, characterized by scholars as an individual lament. It has characteristics of what Bible scholars call an individual lament psalm. In this psalm, David's words of distress and suffering at the hands of violent, wicked men exemplify and point forward to the redemptive sufferings of Christ himself, the one who is the suffering servant, and indeed the one who is great David's greater son. David experienced a number of heartbreaking betrayals during his life and reign as king of Israel, including a conspiracy of violent insurrection led by his own son Absalom. You can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 15, and it is a tragic uh, uh, tale of betrayal. And, and also, in connection with that conspiracy, conspiracy, David's trusted counselor Ahithophel betrayed David and joined himself to Absalom's conspiracy. Again, you can read about these historical events in the kingdom of David in 2 Samuel chapters 15 and 16. This tragic conspiracy during David's reign may serve as the historical background that impelled David to pen this psalm under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. And perhaps David is referring to either Absalom or to Ahithophel when he speaks in verse 13 of his betrayer as, quote, my companion and my familiar friend. In any case, whatever the historical circumstances that led David to pen this, this psalm, all of this underscores the truth that we've been considering in recent weeks. Namely, the truth that the psalms are ultimately the prayers of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
whose spirit inspired David and the other psalmists to pen their compositions. And also we've considered that these so-called imprecatory psalms, and imprecation is a curse, these so-called imprecatory psalms may be regarded as war psalms of the Prince of Peace. To borrow uh, the terminology from the author James Adams in his book of that title, where he, uh, where he addresses the matter of the imprecatory psalms. In other words, these psalms, known as the imprecatory psalms, represent the cries of King Jesus as he engages in holy spiritual warfare against Satan and Satan's pseudo-kingdom. If you view the, the psalms as a whole, but especially the imprecatory psalms, as the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as, having a, as, as being a type, a typological of, of uh, spiritual warfare, the, these psalms will come alive in a way that perhaps they hadn't come alive before for you. And so indeed, what we have here uh, is uh, the war psalms of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Indeed, as King David, the messianic type, experienced numerous betrayals in his life and reign, so our Lord Jesus Christ, great David's greater son, the anti-type, the ultimate anointed one or messiah and messianic king, Jesus experienced betrayal, of course, by Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, who had been a member of our Lord's inner circle of disciples and thus a close friend and companion of our Lord. And when Judas betrayed our Lord Jesus Christ, he betrayed him, not with a slap, not with a punch, not with a sword blow, but he betrayed his master with a kiss. Well, friends, as I mentioned, due to the length of this psalm, I'll cover only the first 15 verses this Lord's Day evening, and we'll consider the remainder of this psalm, God willing, on the next Lord's Day evening. But as we dive into our passage for this evening... Let us first of all consider a desperate prayer for God's help. Let's focus on the first three verses. We have here a desperate prayer for God's help. Now, the superscription or title of this psalm is for the choir director. This was intended to be sung in the corporate worship of God's people on stringed instruments, and it is described as a maskil of David. We're not exactly sure what that term maskil means, but it is probably a liturgical term. Uh, that was used uh, to indicate uh, certain liturgical forms or perhaps certain tunes. In any case, in the first two verses, David pleads with a pathos that is, uh, that is piercing. He pleads with God to intervene, to help. Notice the intensity of David's cries unto the Lord. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. These are uh, two basic, these are two different ways of saying the same basic thing. By praying, do not hide yourself from my supplication, he's essentially saying, listen to me, God. Don't turn away from me. Hear what I have to say. And then he all but repeats himself in verse 2. Give heed to me and answer me. And then he explains why he comes to the Lord with such distress. He explains his situation. He says, I am restless in my complaint and am surely distracted. David earnestly and repeatedly prays for God to give attention to his plea for help. And not only to give attention to him, but to act, to intervene. 
to meet the needs that David feels. And David prays in verse 2, I am restless in my complaint and am surely distracted. Dr. Willem van Gemmeren comments on this statement. He says, the prayer flows out of deep despair. He, that is my thoughts, is continually troubled. Verse 2, he cannot find rest within himself. He is full of inner turmoil. He says, I am distraught. So think about David. He's in a situation where his life is threatened, as David sadly often was during his rise to the throne as well as, uh, as uh, during his reign. David's life was often in danger. He found himself in these incredibly stressful situations where, where he faced an existential threat. But not only did he face external stressors, external dangers, he also had inner turmoil. His heart was churned up within him. There was no rest for his soul as he is deeply distressed. And then, in verse 3, David explains the circumstances that led him to cry unto God. And by the way, the, uh, as the, uh, the cries here are general, David no doubt wrote this uh, from a particular set of historical circumstances, but he wrote this to be taken upon the lips of and to be sung by and prayed by God's people as a whole in various circumstances of distress or betrayal. And he says in verse 3, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. What does David say he's experiencing here? Well, David experiences verbal threats. He experiences pressure. He experiences trouble and anger from his enemies. This is a wonderful psalm to be prayed and sung, especially by the persecuted church, by believers who are distressed by circumstances of persecution. For the church of Jesus Christ, because we are in union with Christ, when we are persecuted, our Savior is persecuted as well. Notice again, David experiences all of these uh, stressors. Verbal threats, pressure, trouble, anger from his enemies. What a fitting type and anticipation of the kind of agony and despair that our Lord endured on the cross of Calvary, where he endured the humiliation and scoffing of his enemies, where he endured the torments of the devil and most piercing, the most piercing pain that our Lord experienced on the cross was the wrath of God the Father as Jesus bore our sins in our place on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus himself was sinless, but he took upon himself the weight and the burden of our sin. He took the punishment and penalty that we deserve for our sins in our place, in our stead, that we might be forgiven of our sins. But that process of, of atoning for sin was so horrific uh, that the Lord Jesus cries out from the cross in the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can hear echoes of that same kind of crying unto the Lord here in this psalm, Psalm 55. 
Oh, friends, Jesus did this, brothers and sisters, for us. Let us love and praise and stand in awe of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was willing to undergo such horrific, redemptive suffering to atone for our sins. Dear listener, do you know Jesus Christ as your Redeemer from sin, as your Savior? The Lord Jesus in the Gospel calls you to come to Him in faith, to trust Him as your Lord and Savior and repent of sin. The Bible says, Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Jesus died upon the cross for our sins and He rose from the dead for our justification and that we might receive the gift of eternal life. And we are told in Holy Scripture, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin this evening, and you will be forgiven and justified and adopted as a child of God. (coughs) So we've noticed this cry for help. But next, as we move on to verses 4 through 8, we find here a description of David's anguish. This is my second point in your Sermon outline, if you're following along, a description of David's anguish. (coughs) Please pardon me. Notice verses 4 and 5. David describes the anguish he feels in his heart. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Again, this psalm is incredibly intense, emotionally speaking. These verses just amplify the picture of personal anguish and suffering that David endured. And thus, they also serve to further amplify the agony that David's antitype, Christ, endured for us in his estate of humiliation, and especially on the cross of Calvary. So deep is his anguish, so piercing is his distress, that David longs to escape. He has a fantasy, if you will, of escape. Notice verses 6 through 8, where we have a very picturesque language. Verse 6, I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. In his sufferings, he would rather be a dove than a man, stuck in his circumstances of suffering. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would escape these these circumstances that bring me such pain and anguish. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. You ever find yourself confronting challenging circumstances, painful circumstances in your life, distressing circumstances, and you just want to get away from it all? You just want to escape. You're so distressed. Verse 8, I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. In this picturesque language, David expresses his longing to escape from the inner turmoil and the outward pain that he's having to endure. But there is no escape for him. But the Lord has not abandoned him. This psalm begins on a note of anguish a note of crying out to God, a note of lament and deep distress. But if you read it all the way through, and as we will see, especially on the next Lord's Day, 
what begins with a, a mood of, of angst and anxiety and anguish ends in a note of praise and trust in the Lord, casting his burden upon the Lord, finding confidence in the Lord. <coughs> Friends, Christ our Savior does not promise us that he will always grant us deliverance from opposition or persecution, from external uh, pains or internal turmoil. But he does promise to be with us through all, through all of it. He promises in his word, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises to abide with us, to be with us always. When Jesus went, was getting ready to go back into heaven, when he gave the great commission, what were the last words that he led and left, with his, left his disciples with? He says, and lo or behold, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. Even though Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, he is still with us. He's poured his spirit out upon the church, and he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Again, he may not always deliver us from difficulty, but he will always pull us through in the end. So let us repose our trust and our confidence in him. Finally, dear ones, as we consider verses 9 through 15, we notice a plea for God to manifest his justice against the enemies of God's king and God's kingdom. A plea for God to manifest his justice against the enemies of God and God's kingdom. In verses 9 and through 11, David writes these words. Confused, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around her upon her walls, and iniquity and mischief are in her midst. Destruction is in her midst, oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. One scholar describes this section of our psalm as a prayer for God to foil the plots of his enemies. And notice, how does he want the Lord to foil their plots? He says, confuse, O Lord, divide their tongues. The Hebrew word for divide is the word palag. And as one scholar points out, palag probably evokes the name Peleg, in whose days the earth was divided, according to Genesis 10.25, which in turn is probably a reference to the Tower of Babel. You can read about that in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. That's where God confused the language of the human schemers and prevented them from carrying out their evil schemes. The scholar goes on to say, The prayer is thus for the enemies to be prevented from working together to carry out their evil. David is saying, Lord, just as you divided the tongues in the days of Peleg, the Tower of Babel, so divide their tongues, confuse them so that they cannot carry out their evil plots. And he mentions this city of violence. Here in verses 10 and 11, we have a description of the violent city. What city do you think David had in mind? What, what city in particular found, found itself often persecuting the prophets? And what city 
where did David find many of his uh, uh, adversaries bringing violence or plotting violence against him? No doubt the city of Jerusalem is in mind, or likely in mind. This poses, this city poses such a threat to him. And again, it reminds us of Christ. What city did Christ die just outside of? It was the city of Jerusalem. And God destroyed that city in 70 AD and its temple as well. (coughs) And then it goes on in verses 12 to 14 to say the following. And here we get to the heart of David's anguish. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. If this distress was coming from someone who is already hostile to me, already my enemy, I could put up with it. I could bear it. But what made his anguish so piercing is this. He says, it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. David doesn't mention this man in particular. We can conjecture that he might be talking about Absalom. I think he more likely would be talking about perhaps Ahithophel. But whoever it is, he's been betrayed by a friend, a close companion, one whom he had trusted, not only trusted with earthly things, but verse 14 says... We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. We had spiritual fellowship together. We worshipped together. We shared, so I thought, we shared the things of the Lord together. And then, this closing imprecation here. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling, their midst. The betrayal that David experienced, again, this points us to the betrayal of Christ. This anticipates the betrayal of Judas Iscariot, who betrayed our Lord Jesus Christ, great David's greater son. These enemies of David had sought to destroy him. They had sought to destroy God's chosen and anointed king. And had sought to undermine his theocratic kingdom. In a similar way, Christ's settled enemies seek to destroy his church and kingdom. So this prayer in verse 15 is is not motivated by personal revenge. It might seem like it at first if you read it superficially. It says, let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol. This might uh, be an allusion to uh, the swallowing up of... Uh, Dathan and Abiram in the, in the camp of Israel when they had opposed Moses and, uh, and God judged them by opening the earth and swallowing them up alive. Perhaps this is uh, what David is, is praying for the enemies of the king and the kingdom. And the reason is evil is in their dwelling, in their midst. But friends, this prayer is, again, is not motivated by personal revenge. It is motivated in the context here by concerns for the honor of God's king, King David, and ultimately God's ultimate king, David's antitype, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it is also motivated by concern 
to maintain the order of God's kingdom. In other words, this is a kingdom-focused imprecation. And this is one of the points that I, I hope I've been driving home <coughs> excuse me, in a clear way as we've been considering these uh, difficult portions of Scripture, that what motivates these prayers of imprecation is not petty, sinful, personal revenge, a desire to see personal revenge upon one's personal enemies, but rather a concern for God's justice to be maintained, a concern for the honor of God's name to be upheld, a concern that those who would oppose and destroy God's kingdom and church would be thwarted and would be restrained from their destructive paths. And so, in closing, may our prayers, like the prayers of these psalms, be kingdom-focused. May they not be sentimental or emotionally focused, but focused on God's kingdom concerns. Let us, with the psalmist, pray as our Savior taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which implies the destruction of Satan's kingdom, that the will of Satan and his servants may not be done on earth. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Lord and Father in heaven, we thank you, sovereign God, for your amazing grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for these prayers of Holy Scripture, these inspired poems known as the Psalms. We pray that we might incorporate these psalms into our piety, our practice. We pray, Lord, that we would learn from them as your Spirit intends for us to learn. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to open our minds and our hearts to behold wondrous things from the book of Psalms, and indeed from all of Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.